the this idea of manipulation okay manipulation starts with yourself you look in the mirror maybe you don't accept who you are and you come up with this whole strategy this idea you start posting things on facebook and you try to like form this image and it's it's an image of how you'd want to be seen rather than how you really are and and uh but you're manipulating yourself and but then you have the world around you manipulating you and telling you you know you got to do this and that and you got to make this much money and you got to live here and you know this is a upper class neighborhood middle class lower class this is a ghetto you know you have everything trying to like tell you who you are and so i was talking to noah and i'm like you need to look in the mirror and really make sure that you're accepting and loving who you are and that your opinion of yourself uh, is not being influenced by others' opinions of you because that's manipulation. Whether they're intentionally trying to shape your opinion of yourself or whether you're allowing those people's opinion to shape your opinion of yourself. And the influences are everywhere. The manipulation is everywhere. And... So people get to this point where they're, they say things and they're indirectly trying to influence you. And it's, it, it, it comes across like almost insulting. Um, but it says more about them than you. Like if you go through your life and you realize that when someone says something that doesn't make you feel right, I mean, there's a, even a right way to correct somebody to make them feel actually better about themselves, to make them feel loved. And then there's that whole, you know, condemnation or a twisted way of going taking a shot at somebody or trying to make them feel weak um, and, and trying to elevate yourself above them. And so I kind of feel like... You know, in, in, when you're at work or when you're, you know, at home, your kids will do it to you. Your spouse will do it to you. You'll do it to your spouse sometimes. I mean, this kind of behavior goes on every day, you know. And so what stops it? I mean, when you finally feel good about yourself, you're going to start recognizing those shots because you're going to start saying, how did that comment make me feel? And if you start if it feels degrading or if it feels like somebody's trying to like push you down and elevate themselves above you, or if it feels like they're trying to make you feel unacceptable and it happens all the time, um, and it's all not always obvious. Uh, sometimes it comes in the form of competition. Somebody's out there flaunting, you know, what they're doing, you know, maybe they're getting a bigger house or they're, they got a nicer car bragging, boasting, putting themselves on display in some way, you know, those are all the people to the degree that somebody shows off is the, is the degree that they, the same degree they don't accept themselves. <laughs> and so you've got a lot of show offs in the world these days with social media and stuff. And so I kind of feel like I've been experiencing some of that from every angle in my life, every angle. I kind of like, I've started asking myself without getting paranoid when I feel 
bad about something that somebody said or the way they looked at me or whatever. It's like, am I being paranoid or is there something about this that is there some manipulation in this? And uh, that's kind of what I've been going through lately. Like, you know, um, your, your company is always going to want you to perform better. So they're always going to be trying to figure out what makes you tick. And they're going to try to come at you from different angles to try to squeeze a little more performance out of you. Your, you know, your spouse will do it. Your kids will do it. Your, you know, sometimes your friends will do it. If they're trying to peer pressure you or, you know, try to bring you on board something that they're doing. Um, it's, uh, that's something that's really big to me right now. It's, it's, it's accepting myself so that I become immune. It's like your own confidence makes you immune to manipulation because when you're down on yourself, you become vulnerable. You, people can control you. They can influence you when you're down on yourself and steer you. And so when I'm like, that's how I try to teach my kids. I'm like, Hey man, just be, be happy with who you are. Don't change for anybody. And, you know, and if you can't be happy with who you are, then maybe you need to change for yourself and make your life better and have some goals in your life. But, but don't let that come from the outside because it has to be you. It has to be your decision. If something's manipulated by somebody else, then it's really not you. It's not coming from you. And that's liable to put stress in your life. And, and, uh, and all it does is further a lack of self-acceptance when you change for other people. It actually starts to spiral as time goes on, as you keep changing for other people. It, it worsens your condition. You start feeling less and less acceptable and it's, it's just a downward spiral. So I kind of feel like I've reached some major milestones in my life lately. Like I feel like I kind of know who I am for the first time. And I also feel like that makes me a better influence on other people because I can walk into a room with confidence. And I told Noah this too. I'm like, you're studying to be a dentist let's say you look in the mirror and you feel very happy and comfortable with who you are, very confident. You are going to transmit that to your patient some days, some days as a dentist, they're going to pick up on that and they're going to say this dentist, I like, he knows what he's doing. He's confident. He has a, a strategy, a, a treatment strategy. I could tell he feels good about it. So that makes me feel good about it. And you know, people will feel like they're in good hands when you, when you like broadcast that kind of confidence, you know, you know what I'm saying? I, yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. I was thinking of a, a couple different things. One, as, as you were, as you were talking, um, one is, uh, I think I first came across this idea where I was really aware of it and there was some like scientific evidence um, based on the idea when I read Thinking Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill and he talked about um, thoughts and he talked about frequency of thoughts and he talked about in in this book 
that many people have read, uh, many successful people and all kinds, you know, millions of people. And um, do you know who Napoleon Hill is? Mm-mm. Okay. So um, anyway, but so just give you a little basic uh, introduction to him. So he was around um, in the early 20th century, mid 20th century. And uh, he's written a number of books. This book, Think and Grow Rich. He was, he was friends and, or at least associate with uh, Henry Ford and Thomas Edison, and um, and and others. And so he was, and um, and Carnegie. So he knew these guys. He was more of like a a journalist um, type, where he was learning and kind of gathering information and then teaching uh, about how these men thought um, and how they lived and what we come So one of the things he's famous for is the idea of the mastermind and where a group of people that are like-minded and, and, and relate together in harmony um, can achieve amazing things. So, but in this book, he talks about, thoughts and how we pick up on other people's thoughts or other people's frequencies kind of like a radio and um all, all you know a lot of my life i had thought like that because you i I'd, I'd seen myself pick up from people you know whether people call it intuition or whatever but he's the first one like to put it in a book and he's like this is true this is scientifically true and i was like wow and since then and science has been progressing there's a lot of science out there revealing some of these ideas and thoughts in a more and more clear way of why and how especially quantum physicists are are starting to reveal certain things and so um and and i was so thankful for that because I think especially in the 80s and into the 90s and and depending on you know like really traditional christians or protestant reform there is such such an emphasis on the intellect and such an emphasis on i think an overemphasis on reason where it becomes unreasonable actually like oh if you can't understand it logically and be able to put a b therefore c to it then it can't be true it's like, no that's that's not the way life is there is mystery in life. And so if that's what you say, then you are extremely limiting yourself. And and in fact, not only limit yourself to what may be science, where you can understand that but and explain it in that way, but limiting yourself in the sense of only the mind is what matters. And you forget the soul and you forget the heart and you forget the feeling and the emotion. And you forget that, you know what? 90 to 95% of what we do and what we think and how we feel is subconscious. So you're missing out on all that if you can't tap into it and program. Um, so you made me think of that. So I actually had somebody tell me um, one time, because I was explaining to them, like, I think this is happening. And he kind of acted like I was crazy, like, don't tell anybody else that. And, and so I was like, oh. As I think back to that time, I was like, no, you know what? In fact, most successful people talk about following their gut or having an instinct and developing their instincts, right? Um, so I 
I just want to affirm you in that and say um, that, you know, we have, I, I think it's important to develop it and not to think that every single thing we think of whatever is or, or feel is, is right necessarily um, 100%, but it at least gives you an indication, even it's just, or an insight, even it's just into yourself, but it, it's your, your, it's telling you, your intelligence is telling you something. When I say your intelligence, I mean your conscious and your subconscious. There's something that, because something in your conscious is starting to feel uncomfortable and becoming aware of this discomfort for some reason. You might not be understand why, but it's there. The other thing you talked about is confidence. Very interesting. Um, are you familiar with Simon Sinek? Mm-mm. No, tell me. So, so he he's he's getting very popular. He um, had one of the most watched TED Talks in history called Start With Why. And he talked about jobs and other leaders and how they were so successful because they didn't start with what or how. They started with why. And so like the why, for instance, of Apple was um, so that people could come out from underneath Big Brother's thumb and compete with Big Brother and big business um, individuals and to kind of be free from that. And so that was the whole idea of Apple. That was the why of Apple. Now the how and the what came after that. But that was why they're like, oh, this is what we want to do. This is why we exist. But he had a conversation with Tom Bilyeu on impact theory this past week. And it was great. He has this um, new book called Infinite Game, and it has to do with business. And and But in that, he just kind of offhandedly, and it's kind of struck me, he said, yeah, I think confidence comes from other people. And I really, and, and, and now for me, I mean, that's interesting to me, and it's a new insight in terms of confidence, because he was talking about self-confidence. Like, I don't think you really have self-confidence confidence i think you get confidence from others and i and i agree partly with what he said in the sense because i never thought of it that way when others affirm us and support us encourage us when we have a tribe around us we get confidence i agree with that but i do think that if you just if that's all you think i think you miss out on two big factors of confidence and one is um a higher power god the creator our father the universe however you want to label and, you know, the great intelligence. Um, obviously, I think that um, that there is a, a supreme intelligence who I call father because he's created everything. He's created me and he's personal. He's not just it's not just some general. It's like, no, he knows my name. He knows me personally. He cares about me as an individual being created from him. I am I am one with him. Um, and from him so there's actual a personal relationship uh there and um so i i, I obviously like that i said but there is a confidence that comes from outside of myself but i think that that's my greatest confidence is knowing him and then that then knowing him more helps me know myself more which helps me know him more too but then there's a confidence really innate in myself of of and there's a book called The Untethered Soul, which I told you about one time, and there was something that really struck me there. And he was talking about how nothing in this world, in this life, can touch you. Nothing, and the reason even there can be everything, but everything is apart from who you really are. 
And it's that awareness of even being aware. It's that, oh, I am, I am feeling hurt. I am feeling insecure. I am experiencing this from outside. But you can always step back and say, oh, this is my essence that can look at all these things, can, can, that can know the name of the name I go by, that can know things that, that has happened to me in this world, but nothing can touch that real me. And that, being able to actually kind of understand that and step back kind of realize who I am in essence and that these other things can't touch me even when I'm like feeling extremely sad or depressed or angry or whatever it is I can kind of go back behind that and then that's me it's not how I'm feeling it's not what I'm thinking it's that part that is me that can look at those things and actually see them and look at them apart from what's actually happening when I'm feeling so I think there's a confidence in all three of those areas. And What's funny is the the how you dis, how you just drew that disconnect, how those things are separate and they don't define you is oftentimes how people describe a um, hallucinogenic where they're able to take a step back and see themselves from the outside, you know, and they suddenly realize that they are, you know, not, they're their own. I mean, they may may be a part of a bigger picture, but they're not controlled by that outer influence, which is exactly what I was saying going into this conversation that it's not, if you can look in the mirror and, and accept yourself without, you know, being influenced by the opinions of others. Um, Because first of all, it's all, it's a functional thing. If in other words, a lot of times, if your life's not functional, how could you accept yourself, right? If you can't even get out of bed or, you know, feed yourself or do things for yourself, there's, there's a functional element missing and something needs to be corrected in that. Um, but the the whole idea of synchronicity, whether I mean, because it's funny how in the way you and I are completely opposites from a spiritual perspective. In other words, opposites and not how reality is, but opposites and how we describe that reality. It's the same reality, but for example. You describe a personal God and in in your way of describing personal, the way I describe personal is by being so intricately interwoven into everything in terms of, you know, the, the air we breathe, the water we drink, everything that sustains us, that the love and the personal aspects of my spirituality would not be defined so much as a personal God, but rather as an intricately woven together system built upon sustenance and and ability. And in other words, he's given each one of us everything we need. And in much in the sense of an untethered soul, you know, asking God to do something for us and then sitting there waiting (laughs) <laughs> and, and not like 
using what he's given us. And, you know, there's so many people in the church that are tethered. They, they sit back and they wait for God. <laughs> and it's like, you know what? God isn't going to like drop money in your bank account. He isn't going to change your kid's diaper or buy the diapers. He isn't going to, you know, lift that spoon to your mouth. He, he you know, it's a, uh, there's this. Something kind of, because this has been a thought of mine and tell me what you think, because I, I've kind of come to a point where I am at peace with something. And, and that is, um, okay, like, when do you act? And so our conversations and so without selling really help because what I realized was like 90 to 95%, maybe more of sales as I started to think about was, was before a sale even happened, before a salesperson ever talked with a customer. It was getting ready. It was becoming the right person, becoming the right company. It was all preparation. And, and that's what kind of opened my eyes because I have the desires for my life. And, and sometimes I, and, and I started to see, you know what? I can be impatient. And I do think, you know, the, the, the Bible talks about, and other religions talk about the importance of waiting and being. And I, I think that that doesn't mean there's nothing happening. It just means there's a different type of action that's going on. Um, meditating is an act. Um, thinking is an act. Waiting purposefully is an act. Becoming is action. And so a lot of people are act, act, act. It's like, well, okay. And so I've kind of gone, okay, well, what do I do? What do I do? Just do something. No, you don't just do anything. You become the person or you're becoming the person. And then when it's the right time to act outwardly on what you've been acting on inwardly, you'll know it. And then you take that external action that you know is right based on who you are and the circumstances and you'll know. Yeah. Cause you're, it's small steps. It's like the idea of evolution. It's like the letter from Michael J. Fox that you said. Yeah. It's like evolution. You have this slow, slow process, but that's what makes it so intimate intimacy is everything kind of slowed down and enjoyed and savored and and it's not this quick you know get to the point it's more of a romance with with life and the universe where you stop expecting this big thing the big thing is going to torture you every night there's this idea of normal or what should be that is there is nothing there. We define that and it tortures us. We lay in bed at night and we think things should be this way. Well, who said, or we think things should happen this fast. Why? And that's what I mean. The intimacy that I have with the universe, much like your personal relationship with God is that it's interwoven in everything. It's slow. It's a process. It it's taking everything that he's giving given me and created me to be and and coming into the revelation of that 
slowly over time through experience and allowing that to shape my destiny. Some of the most successful people in the world, they were just patient. They were just slow. They didn't, they didn't act too quickly. And it's the same thing with negotiating. You know, some people just go out and they buy something. They don't shop. They just go out and they buy something. And they, they, they have no idea. They're, it's all emotion. It's all impulse. And why? Usually that emotion and impulse is driven by this grandiose idea, this, this desire to be something and to achieve and, and to be acceptable, right? And so the idea starts every day when we look in the mirror. It's like, do I need to, you know, all of this external external happiness. I mean, is that really happiness? If you're looking for it, if you're trying to achieve it, you're not even there yet. You're there when you can wake up in the morning, look in the mirror and say, I'm okay. This is, this is where I'm supposed to be. That's where it all starts. That's where success begins so that you stop denying your, your own skill and your own gifts because everything good in us gets buried by this outside influence that's rushing us constantly. It's the manipulation of the world. You know, like the Bible says, the, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness uh, of riches, the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, the carnal man, You know, everything that I learned back when I was a Christian and went to Bible college, actually, it is real. It's the one thing that I carry with me to this day. Um, And uh, but it all starts with being confident with who you are, who you were, how you were created so that you're not um, led astray. You know, that's how people get led astray. You know, I, I, um, I have certain thoughts on that too. Uh, and, and I, so, you know, the, the phrases that pop out to a lot of Christians that have been taught by others. Um, and it's very interesting because the preponderance of the scriptures, um, if you look at them holistically, um, speak, positively about riches and wealth um the but the but it's interesting how pastors and some others kind of grasp on to the scriptures of you cannot serve god and mammon and the love of money is the root of all evil Uh, some even say you know money is the root of all evil um that's easily gotten rid of and jesus saying um uh the poor shall uh inherit the earth um but you i mean other than that almost the whole old testament and all the rest of the bible talks about wealth as a good thing or in james talking about the wealthy um you know not they uh, or the how hard is it for a rich man to get to heaven through the eye of it you know it's like you know, through the eye of a needle. But then he says, all things are possible with God. And the question is, what is a wealthy rich, a wealthy rich man? And what is the love of money? Why is that bad? Think about what it takes to be a billionaire. This is what it takes to be a billionaire. 
you have to have a complete disregard for suffering. I disagree with that 100%. In other words, if you have the ability to not hoard and to transform society and you choose not to every day, you choose not to give, you choose not to, to, you know, help the sick, feed the hungry. Um, you're making a deliberate choice to hoard. Finish my thought and then I'll tell you why I disagree with that 100%. So, so I, I think the problem in, because, and this goes, those two go along together. And I think that's why, and this might be what you're saying, I don't, I, I disagree because I don't think that blanket statement, oh, if you're a billionaire, you just don't care about other people at all. Um, and this is why, but I think the, I think that the concern is that you do get wrapped up in the material aspects of a transitory, um, a limited life. And so that's why, um, and one of the things that real, that wealth can help you do is experience more of life and help accept others experience more of life. And, and there's, so I, but I think you have to be careful because even the poor person, even the poor person can get wrapped up in a limited life where all they care about is money and themselves. Um, I don't think it has to do with the amount of money. And when, when I say 100% disagree with you, I have number one, I have examples. Bill Gates, philanthropist. Warren Buffett, philanthropist. Jeff Bezos, philanthropist. Um, not all billionaires, but, but I do think there's a responsibility that they all have, a desire that they have, but I would imagine they know if I just give away all this money, it'll just be gone. It'll just be gone. Some people will get helped, but what can I really do with this money? Because most billionaires, at least those billionaires, they are builders. And so the money is in good hands. They can, they're trying to make the money last longer and grow and really change the world in positive ways. And um, I think, have you ever read or heard of the book, The Science of Getting Rich? Mm -hmm. You should listen to it on YouTube. Um, Wallace Waddles. And, it, and, and so I, I've, I've read that probably, listened to it, read it probably nine, ten times now. And because uh, it's just striking to me because he makes the claim. He says, he says, God wants you to be rich. And, and he does. And he says the reason is because you you have more of a possibility of becoming all that you can be. And God wants you to be all that you can be. And you can do more in this world with riches than if you don't have them. And you can make this world a better place if you have riches. And so I think it's a very limited and, and wrong mindset to think, oh, well, if I'm a billionaire, I just don't care about the people. I think that it's the opposite. I, I think, think the word the word is a the word is a glutton or a hoarder, or you know that like for instance, not to get political, but our defense budget. You know, you always hear about 
the good that could be done using our defense budget and you know how none of our defense budget has ever ended a war the, there's still wars going on everywhere that we went to fight and everywhere we dropped all this money um these wars are still going on and and they may look like they're they're over but as soon as we retreat then it all just fires back up again like you know like it was smoldering you know it wasn't really out and as soon as our soldiers walk away all of a sudden it just comes right back you know and and how much money do we spend on that and how much emphasis do we put on weapons you know and and does it really like does it really solve anything you know what war has ever been ended really you know in recent times um so I'm not talking about so much philanthropy, philanthropists. I'm well aware that Bill Gates has a philanthropy or an agenda where he's going out there in the world and trying to vaccinate and cure diseases. And, and you know, Warren Buffett and a whole bunch of those folks are part of a club. I don't think Bezos is a part of it yet, but his wife is. It's a club where when they die – most almost all their money goes to charity basically they go and, to the gates foundation um well it could be the gates foundation i can't i, can't, I know there is oh, some club where once you die all your money goes to to charity but that that again kind of makes me laugh because i'm like why then <laughs> i mean i know they're trying to make their money work for them while they're still here and they're doing good with it but you know why not? If if that's true, why not when they die? Why not? Why not keep the machine running? Why when they die are they going to donate it suddenly all to? That's you why know, I think it's going to. Because the great thing about a foundation, if it's if it's um, well run um, by people, they not they they not only use it well, but they build the money. They're, it's like an it's like an it's like a philanthropic estate basically where. You know, if an estate can just be given away and it gets squandered, or uh, you set it up where it continues to build, the estate builds as people are taken care of, and you can do things. So the money over time continues to build. And so a good foundation, they continue to do good, but they don't, it's not like you start with a billion and it keeps on going down because they're giving, giving, giving. No, you start with a billion and they continue to increase the wealth of the foundation as they're able to do more and more good. And so it perpetuates itself in a positive manner, doing more and more good every day. But I don't think we disagree with each other. Not a hundred percent. Anyways, I, I, disagree I, with, I don't know if you agree with your statement or not. You said in order to be a billionaire, you have to not care about suffering. So what I'm saying is there's enough money in, out there that's not in circulation to cure world hunger to cure, you know, vast majority of diseases, but it's tied up in, you know, it's being hoarded in a, in a sense where that is not happening. And so the idea that I'm saying is there's, there is enough money to cure world hunger and there is enough money to cure, you know, most diseases. Um, and yet that's not what's happening. And Gosh, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I, I don't think that's true. I'm just thinking about and maybe you, you thought about this a lot more than I have, but I'm just start, I'm just thinking about 
um, the billions of dollars, even if you say there's a, a trillion dollars out there, right? Jeff Bezos, now he doesn't have it. He's worth like what? 140 billion. Uh, Gates is worth, doesn't have cash, but he's worth like what? 80 billion. So even if you say there's a thousand billion dollars out there, a trillion dollars, which is the, the deficit, the de- sorry, the debt that the U.S. has. So it's a huge number. But you think about, okay, there, there are 8 billion people in the world. There's 7 billion. And if you just took all that money, um, and let's say you, let's say the top three diseases you cured with that money, you spent it all, and, and let's say you gave food to, um, you have 7 billion you know, you gave food. That's if you gave um, just a dollar of food every day to those seven, seven billion people. That's um, what three hundred and fifty billion, or, <laughs> or thirty-five billion in one month. Three hundred fifty billion in a year. So after three or four years, okay, now we don't have any more money. We cured three diseases, but there are other diseases, and we, now we don't have any more food or money. Do you know that Russia has more wealthy billionaires than any other country? And there's so much untapped potential out there. So, you know, if you take away the philanthropists, you know, even, and you just take what's left, um, it's considerable. And so the whole, whole, but the basic idea of it is, uh, was going back to not letting, and you said it in the same sense, because you talked about it as far as poor people can be some of the greedy, most greedy, and they could they could actually, you know, be obsessed, more obsessed with money than rich people. It, it, it's, it's exactly what I'm saying. It's, their, it's where their identity lies. It's what they define as normal, and they feel like they have to achieve. And if they don't, you know, then they're not normal. Or they feel like they're willing to go to illegal extents even, you know, from all the cartels, you know, look at all the money tied up in the cartels, money laundering, you know. Um, but that's all to me, this identity crisis that is in this world probably always has been. And it, it's a result of people waking up every day feeling like they're not okay. And that's how they, you know, some of them end up actually getting rich by using the wrong, you know, means, you know, for the wrong reasons. Like you said, it's the why. It goes back to the why. And I, that's the most profound thing is we focus so much on the how and the what that we never – the why is what how they solve crimes. The why is always the motive when in an investigation. Um, and so if you reverse engineer that and you trace that back and you build a business like Jobs did, um, that is amazing. It is a, it's profound. Um, and the other thing you said when you were talking about how people get on this wavelength um, – you know, which is which is behind like Hitler and his influence, um, 
you know, behind uh, cults, religious cults. A lot of people get into this wavelength where they, you know, there there is this synchronicity in a negative sense where they all feed off each other and they build cults or, you know, political parties or religious cults or whatever. I mean, on a positive note, the same kind of synchronicity can be used to bring people together for something positive and to make some, uh, some great things happen like, like philanthropists, like Bill Gates foundation, um, you know, and, and Warren Buffett, I love Warren Buffett. And, and I mean, it's it cracks me up because he, even when, when they want to raise corporate taxes, he's like, I should be paying more tax. <laughs> Warren Buffett's like I should be paying more tax and it's like one of the most controversial opinions that he has and some people are like well why doesn't he just voluntarily pay more tax but that's probably what his philanthropy you know is for that's his way of contributing but no I don't think we I don't think we disagree in a sense because all I'm talking about is is hoarders and people doing you know, the wrong things, you know, to get rich because they're having an identity crisis and they can't accept who they are until they have a full bank account. Yeah. And I think that, that, you know, it's interesting because you can have a poor person or you can have an extremely wealthy person and both of them can have a scarcity mindset, but you take, um, but I think, and I've been learning a lot about this too. I really think, you know, um, that, and James Allen talks about this too. Um, and I, and, I've, and the science of getting rich talks about this too, in terms of God, you know, how, why, do, how do physical things exist? You know, the Bible talks about it in the sense of, well, this great intelligence, God decided that he wanted these physical things to exist <laughs> and so it came from him and so but we as creators how do how do vehicles exist how do how does everything beside how does everything besides nature exist right but in, in going back to that i mean the one of the most dysfunctional things about religion is here's this god who's supposedly perfect and has it all He's described as lonely <laughs> and longing for a relationship. So what does he do? Do he creates himself a friend, oh, right? I don't you see know? it at all. No, no, no. Not saying that you see it that way. I'm <laughs> saying so, that you need to. Hear, I can't hear you very well. Oh God, that religion creates who's incomplete. He's like this dysfunctional father in a sense, where he like needs some like. Uh, he needs some like uh, help in his life. Like he's not complete, and, and so he's creating like a friend for himself. And, right. Um, like he needs to be loved. He needs more love. Right. Or he not, needs other. He needs other beings to be more than what he is. Here, hold on. I gotta fix something. Hold on. Guys, I'm on the phone. Come in. Come in here. Stop crying. I don't know what's wrong with you, but you need to come in here and stop crying. And if you cry, you can't win here. Just, just, 
find something to do. Just sit quietly for a second. I'll be done in a minute. All right, I'm back. There was chaos in my house, man. Um, what that was about. You there? Can you hear me? Hello? You there? I, yeah, I can barely hear you. Yeah, it's just because I'm off. Trust me, it happens on my end too, but it never ruins our recording. Um, oh, okay, good. But what I'm saying is, there's this like uh, this idea of God being almost like a like a vulnerable person, and um, it, it's the same idea of God really loves you so much, but if you don't love Him back, you're gonna burn forever and all for all of eternity. and and it's like what if i got married and i was like you know and for my wedding vows i was like i love you so much with everything but if you don't submit to me and obey and be a good woman a good wife i'm gonna you know sell you to isis (laughs) so so that's where the whole thing where God becomes too personal. He becomes too human-like. <laughs> oh, I completely agree with you on that. And I, and I hope you don't think that's what I believe about God. I, I just think that um, – here's what – so I think religion really limits who God really is. And I think, it, and I think one of the reasons is it takes it – takes, it takes kind of the revelation that God is trying to help us understand about reality and who we are and about what and who God is and taking it too literally. Um, and so I, I mean, I completely believe, and I think so people that believe certain religious ideas, I think they get really limited. Like they start to, um, See, when they call God their father, for instance, they actually think of a earthly father like that they had or whatever. It's like he is nothing like that. He is just trying to say, "Hey, you came from me. You're of me. I and I care for you. I'm looking out for you." And but <laughs> I mean, he he exists throughout the whole universe and beyond. There is no limit to him, and we even call him him, right? And God is not a man, even though it's like, and some people get really up in arms about people say, oh, well, why would you change the term he or father? And and I get that. I think it's important to kind of understand that. But if like, I have no problem with, well, I have no problem in the sense if I don't think it's wrong in terms of people, you know, like Gabby Bernstein, like the universe has your back. And I completely agree because God is, is, and even, even in the, even the Bible, there's a verse Colossians that says Christ is all and in all. And he is, that means he's in everything and he is everything. And so people, you, when you try and limit Jesus to, or Christ to just that man, wow, you're really missing, missing the boat, missing the mark. And, and, but what I think that if you don't, if you don't think of it in terms of really a personal way is like, how are we personal beings? 
if our creator is not a personal being, if there's not a personality that um, exists where there is a conscious awareness like we have, and there is a complete connectedness between all of nature and us, but it doesn't mean we, it means we're exactly the same substance because everything, everything in the universe, science has proven is energy. But there's different forms of energy and there's there's a different awareness. And so I am, while I am of the same substance, because we are all from God and of God, there's a different, um, there's a different energy and a different um, compilation in the way that the atoms that form every single structure is in me than it is in the car next to me or the car I'm sitting in or the chair. Um, and so that's the, to me, that's the connection between us and God and us and one another. There, it's, there is a real relation. The tree does not relate to me as you relate to me. And I don't relate to the tree the same as I relate to you. But, the, but, we, but both of these, um, um, but both the tree and me come from God and we are of God. But... I am created by God in a different way to be a different type of a being. And um, so that's why I relate and you relate. Now there's a relationship, but anyway, I think I, I don't want to go on it, but I think that when people just see it in a physical way, got a physical, spiritual, some abstract vague way, I think there's a really missing of, and in fact, I think there's a potential deep. I think we understand when we understand the relational aspect of this being that we call God, then then we understand ourselves more. And we understand we be, actually understand our humanity more because we start to realize that I am not the tree I and I am not <clears throat> I'm not the same as an ape. There are many uh, similarities. Of, I mean, in terms of um, DNA, I think there's only a difference of like four percent or less than four percent and um so the physical being is you know very very similar but there is this uh special spark if you will or essence of the intelligence that exists in human beings and other such creatures like if you believe in angels for instance they're a different type of a creature created by God where it's interesting too in the sense of at least I mean <clears throat> um they're they're just a different type of a of just, a of I a creature. But anyway, I think that I We're think that like, there's uh, a missing aspect. I think you can very really, really limit yourself and limit the understanding of this world and the whole universe if you don't see this mysterious huge God that's in everything and because you have this limiting idea of bringing him down to like a human being. But I think if you don't understand that aspect of we get our humanity from God, or we come from God and we are of God, then you miss out on that aspect of that reality of God too. Well, I look at it like um, when somebody comes to me and they claim to have this in with God, <laughs> that's almost like, run <laughs> so that's how cults start you know one guy that's got this like he's got this in with god um but the word for me is synchronicity 
there is a, a design where things work together. And if you can somehow jump on that synchronicity, you start to see things happening around you. You start to meet people who they just come at the right time in your life and the opportunities, you know, are, are, are there. It's, and it's happened to me all my life. You know, it's everything just happens at the right time. And if, as long as I'm okay with where I'm at and I'm not like trying to push things unnaturally to happen uh, the intimacy that I have with the universe is the fact that I was obviously created with, with what I needed to survive. And I have those instincts in me that I can trust as you called it earlier, it's your gut. And if you can get into synchronicity with your gut and you can, you can get that intuition about, you know, not just people, but circumstances and timing and all of a sudden things start to move forward and you start to see progress much like when you were describing the why in, in, you know, in, in your Steve jobs example, you want to get into synchronicity with that why, and you start following that you ride that wavelength, then things in your life start to transform. But, so as long as you don't trust that gut or you're disconnected from it or you're waking up every day feeling abnormal, and so as long as you allow other outside forces to influence you and manipulate you and, and knock you off track uh, and interfere with your confidence and your sense of direction and your mission, um, those outside influences are are basically tapping into your your own weakness and you and those are what distract you and in, in your goal you know uh which ultimately is success and success is not defined by money alone success is defined by happiness and happiness is blooming where you're planted being okay with where you're at but not to stay there but what I'm saying is progress starts with acceptance of your circumstances because that's where the ideas come from. You accept first you accept your circumstances. Then you say, hmm, now that I've accepted my circumstances, I can suddenly see a, a door that I that can be opened. And I can see the next step to open that door. So Accepting your circumstances and blooming where you're planted is simply is it's not giving up and quitting, but it's it's accepting your reality, which is where your progress starts. It's like that directory at the mall that I've mentioned in the past where it says you are here accepting your circumstances without being negatively influenced by outside forces is finding where you're at so that you can get to where you need to be. So accepting your circumstances is not staying in one place. It's, it's actually the beginning and it propels you forward in life. And, and that's where change comes from. So uh, I, that's, that's kind of where I was going with the whole manipulation thing. It, 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 that's what was on my mind, uh, you know, this week is just like, what's manipulating me? And how is that manipulation slowing me down 
And you know what's funny? Sometimes you slow yourself down by moving too fast. <laughs> it's a paradox. That's a good point. Yeah. You slow yourself down by moving too fast. I feel like my problem in life is just like trying to move twice and sell my house is I can hear you again. (laughs) Yeah. It's a glitch in this. It happens on my end too with you. Um, But, but like me trying to move a couple of times, it, I slowed myself down by moving too fast. And, and so that's kind of why I've been on this wavelength for the past 24 hours, especially like, wait a minute, I jumped ahead. I lost synchronicity. And because I lost synchronicity, I slowed myself down. And the reason why I sped up is fear. And that's one of those forces. When Once you become afraid, you become vulnerable to outside manipulation that can force you to speed up. If you, you know, embrace that manipulation because of your fear, it can force you to make bad decisions, to move too fast, and that ultimately slows you down from reaching your goal. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And that kind of goes along with, that's what I was, and I've, I've experienced that too, and I, I do think that, um, so some of the things you mentioned, like, becoming aware of where you're at right now. I think some, I think that's kind of a starting point in sense of growth is like, okay, let me get real here. What, what am I really like? Um, let me see my, let me become self aware and let me become aware of really what my circumstances are like. And then as you become more aware, then you can become aware of, well, what do I really want what do i really desire and then you can start creating that who do i really want to be um what do i really want to accomplish in life why um why am i here why do i think i'm here why what do i care about why do i care about it um and then to move forward. I think awareness is, is huge. And so I think that's kind of what you were talking about. And then to continually be aware, I think is, uh, is so important. Yeah. Cause the why is like when somebody's talking to you, <laughs> you say, why are you, why are they telling me this? You know, um, People who lack confidence will sometimes spend a lot of time explaining things that it's almost as if they're trying to convince themselves. Like for me, a long time ago on Facebook, I was a hyper poster. I just posted so much that people were hiding me because they were sick of seeing my stuff. And they would tell me, they'd even be honest. A couple of my friends were like, dude, I love you, but you post way too much and like crowding my newsfeed every day and so i had to come to grips with some things you know like other podcasts out there you know you might see people spending a lot of time explaining themselves it's almost like they're trying to justify or convince or whatever and they're not arriving at any conclusions (laughs) which equals 
it's the equivalent to rambling. And so I think people who lack that self-confidence will spend a lot of time talking in circles and they don't ever arrive at a, a conclusion because they're trying to convince themselves that they're okay because they really don't accept themselves as they are.